Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Ash. It's my privilege to lead the Fishpond site of City Church, Bristol. Well, follow Jesus. Um, that's not only the title of our sermon series. It's in fact our aim as a church. It's our desire for this city and it's our hope for the world. And we take it really, really seriously. And because we take it seriously, we're going to spend some time this term looking at the Bible and learning from the Bible. What does it look like for us to follow Jesus faithfully here in the 21st century? And as we go, we're, um, we're going to learn what it looks like for us to, how, how do we, um, what does it look like for us to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus and to do what Jesus does. And I'd love for us as we, as we go through the series this term to just have that in the back of our minds. And today we listen in on a conversation in progress between Jesus and some of his very first followers. And we're jumping in at a strange point. We're jumping in after a cliffhanger. And you might ask, what on earth is a cliffhanger? Well, um, sometimes in a TV drama, there'll come a point in the episode, towards the end of an episode, where there's some wild revelation or some, um, some shocking confession or some big explosion. Something happens at the end and then the episode finishes. And you're left wondering, well, firstly, what happened there? But secondly, how is this going to be resolved? What's, what's going to happen? Well, this is actually where we find ourselves this morning, okay? So the cliffhanger moment, just to say, is an interaction between Jesus and some of his closest followers, and one of them called Peter. And Jesus asked Peter, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter's response is, Jesus, you are the promised perfect king. You are the one who will make absolutely everything right. That is a cliffhanger moment right there. Now, friends, with Peter's affirmation, with Peter's words like ringing in our ears, we are going to jump into the next episode and see how the story plays out. So we're reading some words written by a man called Luke. Uh, Luke's account of the life of Jesus is broken down into chapters and those chapters are broken down into sentences. So we're looking at chapter nine, uh, the 21st sentence through to the 27th sentence saying this. Uh, and he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If any if any would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Well, there we are. Peter has made his declaration about Jesus and Peter is right on the money. Peter is absolutely correct. There are no like um, amendments or changes from Jesus. If we look at the passage, you realize that Jesus um, strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. So Jesus is not denying the fact that he is the promised perfect king. And I think this is a brilliant first step from Peter. It's not that Peter's worked it out by himself. In fact, in another account of this, um, this discussion, we hear Jesus responding to Peter and saying, um, you are blessed, Peter. Why are you blessed? because you didn't work this out by yourself. In fact, this has been revealed to you by my Father in heaven. He has opened your eyes and enabled you to see me for who I am. 
It's a brilliant first step for Peter. You see, if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to know who he is, right? That's, that's a really important, really helpful thing. Um, I, um, from time to time, certainly over the past few years, I've I, um, had various meetings with various people um, in different places. And oftentimes it's a coffee shop. And I might have had some interaction with that person beforehand over email. And we'd agreed to meet at a particular coffee shop at a particular time. Um, but I... I don't know what that person looks like. They don't know what I look like. We've not spoken on the phone before, so we don't know like what each other sounds like. And it's it's. I often quite find it quite fun in those scenarios. I like I have a name and like I like know a few things about them, but I'm not quite sure who this person is or who I'm looking for. And sometimes I'll just I'll just say the name out in the coffee shop and see who responds. And it's it's usually quite it's quite fun. Dave, and it might be the right Dave. It might be a whole another Dave as well. But it is really important for us to be aware of who it is that we are looking at, who it is that we are engaging in. So it's a brilliant first step from Peter. Peter, you have the identity of Jesus right. And it's really important for all of us. Like, do we understand who Jesus is? Is Jesus for us a, a moral teacher? Is he a, is, a, is he a healer? Okay, he is those things. But I, I would not only suggest, but I would declare to you uh, today that he is so much more. He is the promised perfect king. He is the son of God. Okay, so we've got the identity of Jesus. The, friends, to follow Jesus, we need to be aware of his path, right? So it, it's, um, I've, I'm, I've occasionally in life had the situation where I have, um, I've jumped onto a bus thinking that the bus is going to go a certain direction or take a certain route. And I realise a few minutes into the journey, this bus is not going where I thought it was going. And then oftentimes panic ensues and I'm ringing the bell and I'm trying to get off and I'm thinking, I really want to be going that way, uh, but the bus is travelling this way. In those circumstances, it's really important that you know where the bus is going. Because if you're on the bus, where the bus goes is where you go. And again, it's, a, it's the same thing when we think about following Jesus. To follow Jesus, we need to be aware of his path. And Jesus understands the importance of this. And, and we find it here in this, in this scenario, in this interaction. He wants to make it crystal clear to his friends, his followers about his path. And it's almost as like he gets a big map out and a big marker pen and a big dot and says, look, guys, we are, we are here at the moment. Um, I am going here and this is my path. You know, there, there's, um, there are no conversations, no negotiations, no inquiries as to guys, what do you think? Is there a better way? Is there an easier way? Is there a simpler way? There's none of that. Jesus is crystal clear. This is my path. This is where I'm going. It involves suffering, rejection, death and resurrection. You know, guys, back in 1992 in the city of, of Barcelona, the, um, the Olympic Games for that, that year were held and the men's 100 metre final was won by a certain Linford Christie representing Great Britain and Northern Ireland. And one of the things that I've always appreciated about Linford Christie is his, his focus. So you'll see it for him before a race. If you look at footage before the race, this guy isn't jumping around. He's not mucking about. He is absolutely serious. He knows what he's come here to do. Uh, and then the uh, the marksman or the starter will call the athletes uh, to their marks. So they'll be on the blocks and they're called to the set position and then the, the, the gun goes and they're off. And if you look at footage of Linford Christie in that race and probably every race he's ever run, what you will see is this guy's eyes do not blink. They're not looking to the left or to the right or up or down. As far as he is concerned, there is nothing else happening in the universe outside of his lane. 
And every fiber of his being, every muscle that he has in his body is working towards him getting from the start line to the finish line as quickly as possible. He will not be swayed from his task. And I want to say to, to us friends that today, we, there's a danger of us getting the impression that Jesus was just sort of freestyling as he, as he lived life, just making stuff up as he, as he went along. We can get that impression. I want to say that's a false impression. Jesus lived with a focus and intentionality and clarity about his mission. A sense of clarity which far, 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 far exceeded that of Lympha Christie in the, uh, the Olympic final of 1992. And Jesus knew his path. He mapped it out ahead of time. He explained, really clear in explaining to his followers the path that was ahead of him. The road that Jesus had ahead was one that was marked with suffering. It was not a simple, smooth and easy road. It was a rocky road. It was a hard road. It was a difficult road. It was a dangerous road. And Jesus knew that and he said it ahead of time. You know, guys, we, um, many of us, if you live in Bristol, you live in South, South Gloucestershire, um, sometimes when you have a journey to go on, um, you might think that in terms of point to point, there might be a really like simple way of going and then you, but you know that there are certain roads at certain times you just think it is not even worth me trying that because I'm just going to be sat there stationary for a long time and I'm just going to be stressed and frustrated and I just don't need that in my life so you tend to avoid certain roads or avoid certain routes that's a that's a natural human response friends Jesus intentionally walks towards hardship difficulty, suffering, rejection, and death. Jesus had the opportunity to walk a really easy road. He could have done comfortability if he wanted to, right? This is a guy who um, like, was able to like, talk, talk to the wind and the waves and make them stop. This is a guy who was able to feed thousands of people with just like some, some bread, a few loaves of bread and a few fish. Like if anyone could have lived a comfortable life, it would have been Jesus. Absolutely, it really would have been him. So it begs the question, why? Because Jesus knew he'd be misunderstood, misrepresented, disrespected, rejected, accused, silenced, killed. He knew all of that was ahead and still he went. Why go through that? Why face such difficulty and so much hardship when he could have had comfortability? Why? Well, friends, he had something that he had planned to achieve. He had a mission and his mission would lead him through suffering, rejection, death and then resurrection. Jesus was not going to drop the ball on his mission. There's a wonderful part of the Bible, um, a book of the Bible called Hebrews. And there's an absolute humdinger of a passage in there that I absolutely love. It's from Hebrews chapter 12. And in it, the writer describes Jesus as the author and perfecter of our faith. And said it was, it was because of the joy set before him that he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Why did Jesus walk that path? Why? For the joy set before him. Because friends, there was a gap between humanity and God. Our sin, that's our wrongdoing, that's our rebellion, that's all of that stuff, all the ways that we turn away from God and we try to make decisions for ourselves rather than from him. All of that stuff has separated us from God. All of that stuff has, has set us under a sentence, a right sentence of death. All, all of that stuff has made us like, like spiritually unclean, unable to come into God's perfect presence. Jesus 
was walking a path that would deal with our greatest difficulty, our greatest need. What was our greatest need? A saviour, a rescuer, one who would pay our debt of sin, one who would clean us from our spiritual impurity, one who would bridge the gap between humanity and God. None of us will be able to do that by ourselves. So Jesus actively, intentionally, willingly walks that path. And he does so, why? Because of the joy set before him. God and humanity back together. He did it for the glory of God and for the good of people. And just to be clear, friends, when I say people, it's not just people in a airy, fairy, abstract way. It's me and it is you. Jesus walked the path for the glory of God and he also walked that path for the good of me and for you. Whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus yet today or not, that is why Jesus walked that path so that you could come into relationship with God. You could know forgiveness, you could know eternal life, you could know joy. And I'm sure that those followers of Jesus uh, at the time may have been asking some questions. Why, oh why Jesus? Well, surely surely there are easier ways of things happening. They they didn't understand, they didn't get it at the time. But I wanna say, look, after Jesus died and came back to life, they understood it. They absolutely understood it. And that was a message that they championed and they, 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 they like preached with absolute gusto. Many of them preached it to the point where their lives were in danger and their lives were lost because it was such a beautiful message. And it's the same message that we proclaim today. Jesus walked that path for us, friends. You know, to follow Jesus, we ought to think and talk about his difficult path. Um, For many of us, there there, there might be a sense of, we feel reasonably comfortable maybe thinking and talking about certain aspects of the life or the teaching of Jesus. So I'll give you one, um, which is called the incarnation. It's a long word. Really, all I'm talking about is a point in history when the Son of God became a person, like was born to a virgin as a baby, like God like took on like flesh, humanity. He's now fully God and fully man, which is crazy. And I don't understand it fully. I don't think anyone aside from him really understands it, but that's the incarnation. And we feel comfortable talking about that and thinking about that. And why do I say we do? Well, because Christmas time, right? Uh, Christmas time is actually a time when um, friends, family, neighbours who wouldn't maybe usually come like to a, 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 a church service on a Sunday morning, all of a sudden are maybe talking and thinking a little bit about baby, baby Jesus, like in a manger. So we feel comfortable and confident thinking about these things and talking about these things. Um, so that's the incarnation. Um, maybe some of us feel comfortable thinking and talking about the second coming of Jesus, his return. I certainly do. I love it. I love thinking about when Jesus is going to come back. I love talking about it. I pray about it all the time. I long for the day when he comes back. I long, you know, we're, we're promising when Jesus comes back that there'll be no more um, crying, no more mourning, no more sickness, no more uh, disease, no more death, no more war. Like basically everything bad and messed up will be completely sorted when the promised person perfect king returns. That is exciting. Okay, so I love thinking and talking about that. But the the reality is, friends, that we can at times be um, ashamed of certain aspects of the teaching and the life of Jesus or, or feel uncomfortable around them. The suffering, rejection and death of Jesus can feel like a little bit weak, if we're all honesty, a little bit, um, a little bit foolish, you know, because a, a PR person or a marketer, marketing manager, um, you know, if, if they're trying to like um, promote Jesus, like build up his brand, like get him a whole load of followers, 
to be honest, these are not the strong selling points that they're going to go for. Like they, they're not going to build a narrative around his, his suffering, his rejection and his death. That ain't going to do it because look, in the 21st century, many of us, we want to project competence and confidence and strength and just amazingness and anything that even has a whiff of, uh, of, of, of weakness. We're not, we're not really sure that people are going to go in for that. So we feel uncomfortable around that. We feel uncomfortable in ourselves. It's uncomfortable for us to, to even read some of the stuff that is said about Jesus and some of the stuff that happens to Jesus. It's not comfortable reading to recognise the way that he was treated. To Jesus who lived absolutely perfect, never put a step wrong, never put a foot wrong. Perfectly good, perfectly gracious, perfectly kind, perfectly gentle, just perfect in every single way, being mistreated, misrepresented, disrespected. It is hard to read. But it's even harder when we, when we just consider this as well, because sometimes we can look at those things from a, from a distance. Um, events that happened 2,000 years ago and think, oh, that's, whoa, that's rough, that's bad, that's horrendous. But here's the thing. And again, we ask ourselves the question, why did Jesus experience what he experienced? Why did he walk that path? Well, it's because of like my sin, right? My sin, my rebellion, my turning away from God meant that I have needed a rescuer. I have needed a savior. So in fact, when I read about what happened to Jesus, I realize that I'm not a casual observer. I'm actually an active participant. Why did Jesus walk the path that he walked? Well, because of me and what I have done and what I have said. And then when we think about talking to others about this difficult path of Jesus, we realise that, well, again, that, that doesn't make sense unless we start to talk about the reality of sin and rejection of God and the need for a saviour and the need for forgiveness and what that actually costs the death of Jesus. Friends, that is not comfortable stuff to think about or to talk about. It's not comfortable, but it's really important. I want to say it's foundational for our discipleship. It's foundational for our following of Jesus and our helping of others to follow him as well. And for many, our natural, um, natural kind of default place is to move towards comfortability and towards ease. And I believe that, that Jesus would want to turn us away from comfortability because really what's going on, that stuff in our heart, that uncomfortability in our heart is, is pride, really. It's pride. And Jesus is wanting to kill our pride. He calls us to turn away from comfort and have our pride killed. And that happens in the head, in the heart and in the tongue. And I'm going to offer two practical things that might help us in terms of, again, taking some of these steps to follow Jesus taking some of these steps to really engage our thinking and our feeling and our talking around his difficult path, his path which was difficult but ultimately glorious. The first one is taking communion, which is something we do week on week together as a church, a simple meal of bread and of wine. And communion is a very powerful activity in killing our pride, setting our, um, our eyes on Jesus, reflecting on the path that he's taking, rejoicing in his victory over sin, and death and the wonderful thing about communion this is one of the things that i absolutely love about communion is that it's it's not about us there is no room for pride at the table but there is plenty of grace no one looks good at a communion table we really don't 
and I say this, there's this moment where, because it requires a physical act from us, oftentimes maybe getting up out of our seat potentially and walking somewhere and getting some bread and getting some, in, in our case at City Church, some juice. And that act of walking sometimes is a bit uncomfortable and is, is awkward. And I said this as someone who leads communion regularly. It can be uncomfortable. Why? Because as I'm walking, really, what I'm saying to everyone else around me is, I have need of Jesus. I don't have it all together. I'm not fine. I'm not sorted. I have need for forgiveness. I have need for cleansing from my sin. I can't do it myself. I need to come to Jesus. So I'm walking that path and other people are walking that path. So as we're walking, we're realizing that I need him, you need him, we all need him. There is no, <laughs> there's no room for pride there. And that is a, that's such an important and significant thing for us in our discipleship. It's that killing of our pride, taking the eyes off ourselves and setting our eyes and our affections on him. So that's communion. The second one I'm going to suggest is confessing our sin, our brokenness and our need to God, um, but with one another as well. And I've had a, a numerous um, circumstance over the past few years where people have uh, brought stuff to me. They've confessed things to God. Um, but kind of in my presence as well, and I said, look, I, I just want to, I want you to know this, and I want you to hear this, and I want us to pray together and, and talk some of this stuff through. And I want to say that I've never come away thinking, oh, I can't believe that person did that or thought that way or said that thing. I've always come away utterly amazed at the goodness and the power of God, because I thought this person has just shared something which is pretty, pretty big for them. It doesn't make them look like amazing, and like. They, they've brought that to God, but they've also brought that to me. And I'm thinking, wow, in order for that person to do that, God has clearly done a work of humility in them. Clearly, God has done a work where actually they are more interested in honouring him and following him than they are in their own comfortability, in their own looking good. And I'm like, I'm absolutely amazed. And usually in that context, it does something to me in terms of what, what should I confess? What should I bring up? What should I share? I've been amazed absolutely every single time. I will say to you, that actually, if you if you found that maybe if you're a follower of Jesus and you found that over the past few weeks or months or years, you find yourself confessing to God and to, to others like more than you have done before. I want to say that's actually a really positive sign of your growth and your maturity as one who follows Jesus. So I want to encourage us, friends, intentionally to really step towards communion and towards confessing our sin to God and to one another. So we've considered uh, the path of Jesus. Let's just think for a few moments about our path. Because um, we are full called to follow Jesus. So Jesus maps it out and says, look, guys, this is where I'm going. And again, we talked before about the difference between a casual observer and an active participant. Well, Jesus is calling us to join him, to follow him on that road, on that path. And it's important just to let that sink in for a few moments, because what can happen is we, we can somehow get into the mindset that um, suffering, rejection and difficulty is for a select band of Christians in another place and in another time. No, it's actually for all of us. Um, Peter, who's the guy I talked about earlier, um, many years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, Peter writes a letter to some Christians over a very like big area and he says to them, guys, I don't want you to be surprised at the difficulty and the trial that you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. This is to be expected as a follower of Jesus. Another early church leader, a guy called Paul, writes to a younger leader called Timothy. Um, 
And Paul says that anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, will have difficulty and will have hardship. Jesus says it here in the passage, uh, 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 just in verse 23, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is for all of us. And yes, the path might not be quite the same as Jesus, but Jesus does not call us to ease and to simplicity and to comfortability. There was a man um, who lived in the 20, 20th, uh, mid-20th century under the Nazi regime, a man called Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who um, like lovingly served, lovingly and faithfully served Jesus in the midst of difficulty. And rather than doing the easy thing or going the way of comfortability, keeping the Nazis happy, no, he pressed in to Jesus pressed into walking that path. And Bonhoeffer uh, wrote this. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home. It may be death like Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world. But it is the same death evermore. It's a death of the old man at his call. Christ calls all of us to die, uh, to essentially relinquish um, control, to Um, give ourselves over to him and his wants and desires over and above ourselves that's what we see perfectly can I just say in Jesus and Jesus would often say to people look look, I'm, I'm not here to do my own will I'm here to do the will of the father in heaven absolutely everything that he did was for the will and for the glory of the father in heaven and Jesus, as he leads us to follow him, is, almost, is kind of taking us in that direction. And he's like weaning us off some things. And for many of us, um, we, our approach to life can be, for followers of Jesus, it can be um, what I describe as Jesus plus. Right? So um, I, I feel in a place of happiness and contentment with Jesus plus. Jesus plus my health. Jesus plus the job that I'm in. Jesus plus being able to live in the house that I'm living in at the moment. Jesus plus having a, a nice group of friends around me. Uh, and Jesus is weaning us off, can I just say, the, the plusness. And it's not that those things in and of themselves are bad, but he's, he's wanting to kind of weaning, wean, wean us off our confidence in those things above him. To come to a place where we recognise if we have him, we have absolutely everything that we need. And that's why he calls us to die. That's why he calls us to lay some things down. And for, for different ones of us, that, that, will look, that will look different. Okay, And that's the kind of thing that we need to engage with him over. And in fact, I, I want to encourage us to, to take some time to almost pray a dangerous prayer, make a dangerous request of him and to ask him, Jesus, are there things in my life that are holding me back from following you? Are there areas of my life um, that, that have more of my confidence than you do? Dangerous things to ask, dangerous prayers to pray, but really important for us in terms of following Jesus. And I, I just want to press us in towards that intentionality. There's an intentionality about the way that Jesus lived, but also the way that he calls his followers to live. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. That's an active thing. Take up his cross daily and follow me. There's an intentionality there that I want to encourage us into. And we can, the reality is being weaned off anything is not, is not easy and is not pleasant at times. But the reality is when you come through the other side, you realise, wow, oh, actually, I've, I've laid that thing down and it was really hard and it was really difficult. But. I still have Jesus and, and I'm still full of joy. And many of us in this church will have stories to that end. 
of things that Jesus had led you to lay down, to, to, to kind of to, to give away, to walk away from so that you might know full and complete contentment in him. And you've come to realize, actually, why did I put so much confidence in that thing over there? Many of us have those stories and it's important for us to tell those stories and to share those stories with one another. That's a really practical step and it kind of leads me as we come into land you know i want to want to say to us friends can we be the kind of church that steps towards community with one another if we want to engage intentionally um with this difficult path that jesus calls us towards we must step towards community with christians i became a follower of jesus just before leaving home in london to go to university in manchester when i arrived in manchester i got connected in with a christian union and with a church and in that context of close community um the wonderful thing is i i saw how this was done i saw what it actually looked like for people to actively deny themselves and take up their cross daily. I, I saw and heard what it looked like in terms of what people did with their finances, in terms of decisions that people made about where they lived or uh, maybe where children went to school, in terms of decisions about um, jobs that people um, went for or didn't go for, situations where people felt like they were offered a new job which would have been wonderful in loads of ways and the current job that they were in was hard and was difficult but actually Jesus was calling them to stay in that job for a reason I was in that community in that context where I was seeing how it was outworked and it was so important for me and it's it shaped me and it still it, it still affects the way that I live today so friends I want to encourage us to step towards community with other believers so we can see what it looks like we not only see what it looks like but actually like we can be challenged and challenge one another as well and i, I want to say that if you don't have people in your life who are close enough to kind of you know tap you on the shoulder uh, and help you with some of this stuff i want to say step towards i want to say um sign up for a connect group uh, i want to say if you if you are already in a connect group i want to say like step closer into relationship with those in your group um but you know what the the other thing about being in community with, with other um, believers is it, it provides a context for us to, to actually deny ourselves and to serve others. It provides a context for us to, again, live for the glory of God and the good of others above ourselves, to kill pride. Because when you are in um, genuine community, I think about myself over the time that I've been a, a follower of Jesus, and I think about the, just the, the number of hours that I've spent, for example, um, helping people to move house, loading boxes into cars and out of cars, a number of meals prepared, a number of, um, uh, the amount of time um, spent praying with people and the amount of time helping people with flat pack furniture and hospital visits and all sorts of things which, if I'm completely honest, are not the most comfortable things in the world. At times where I'd much rather be doing something else that makes me happy and makes me comfortable. But it's been so important, so important for me to have a context into which I can actually do some of this stuff. And maybe actually for some of you um, here today, your next step might be like joining a ministry team here at City Church, a, a team in which you serve others in the church, maybe on Sundays or other points in the week. There are a variety of ministry teams that we have and all of the teams would love to have more people involved. That's a really practical step that you can take. Really, really practical step that you can take. And, you know, look, friends, Jesus lived out self-denial. He, he lived out that walking the difficult path in the context of community. 
Um, his ministry might have been, well, it would have been a lot easier by himself, can I just say. Um, he worked with a, uh, a group of people who were tricky and hard at the best of times. He would have been annoying, would have been frustrating, didn't always get it. Probably, you know, if I would say get on his nerves. I don't know if anyone actually got on Jesus' nerves, um, but they certainly got on one another's nerves. So things could have been much easier and simpler for him. Yet he intentionally lived life in the context of community. He intentionally ministered and served others in the context of community. And so friends, I would encourage us towards that. In life, we are offered the path of comfortability or the path of Christ. And I wanna say, um, certainly my experience is that Christ is better. I'm calling us to walk together on the path of Christ. I'm calling us to encourage each other on that path. I'm calling us to ask for God's help as we walk that path. Friends, let the world see and be amazed by a community of people who exude the strength and sweetness of Christ as they put him above all else.